Well, I wasn't sure if they were going to break out an African dance or not, but uh, I'm sure that the true Swahili-speaking congregation would have. <laughs> but uh, that was good, choir. Enjoyed that. I'm not sure we've ever had Swahili sung in our church, but that's a great dynamic. I love that as we worship the Lord in other languages. Think about it. Today, all over the world, people are worshiping the Lord in their own language. And uh, not just what we're doing here, but people, Christians all over the world are worshiping the Lord. Well, let me kind of bring you up to speed as uh, we're talking about spirit-filled families. Uh, what brought, what, how God brought me to this series was as I was reading in Luke this year, the Gospel of Luke, and came in chapter 1. And I noticed something very interesting that I had not noticed before, is that uh, this family, this particular family, Zechariah's, his wife Elizabeth and their child John the Baptist the Bible says in that chapter the same thing about all three of them that they were filled with the Holy Spirit well that just struck me there is a family who is filled with the Holy Spirit they are a spirit filled family now is that just a one-time occurrence or is that something that can happen to us today and as I shared with you last week, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have committed your life to Him, you've been born again, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. He is resident in you. Okay, He can't leave. He won't move out on you. But the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 5, and if you go ahead and open your Bibles there, or you can follow along on the screen, verse 18, before this whole... Uh, passage in Ephesians 5 about the family, about husbands and wives, and then in chapter 6 about sons and daughters and parents. He prefaces all of that with verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. So God's plan, God's purpose, God's desire for every family is that they be filled with God's Spirit. That is, that that home be filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can have Him living in you, but because we sin, because we choose to do our own thing, go our own way, ignore what God wants us to do, and we can quench and grieve Him. And when you quench and grieve somebody, it, the fellowship is broken. And you quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, then His power and His presence is not felt and manifested in your life and in your home. And some homes are constantly quenching the Spirit. And therefore, their, their home's not filled with the Spirit. And, and you can probably cut the tension with a knife in some homes and families that are Christian homes and families because they've quenched the Spirit so terribly. And so we asked the question last week. We started by asking, who can I be? Because a lot of times we say, well, what can I do? What can I do? It's really, who can I be? And that's what Ephesians 5.18 tells us is be. Be filled with the Spirit. So uh, what does that look like? What would your family look like if your home was filled with the Spirit? What difference would the Spirit of God make in your family and in your home life? What would it look like? Is it supposed to be? Is your home and family supposed to be different than those without Christ? Is it? But remember, statistically, that's not the case. Statistically speaking, Christian homes aren't any better off than non-Christian homes. And that's a problem. And you see, as the goal is, what's the ultimate goal of my home being filled with the Spirit? 
What's the ultimate goal of me loving my wife and my wife submitting and respecting to me and me, me uh, uh, training up my children the way that they should go and ch- my children honoring and respecting me and their mother? What's the goal of that? Is, that? is that the goal? Is that the end game? Or is the end game to honor God and bring glory to God? That's the end game. The end game is so that our homes and marriages represent God, that show Him off to a world. And sadly, the culture, the world we're living in, especially in this nation, Christian homes are, no, are not doing that, statistically speaking. But your home can. You can be, rise above that statistic. And we looked at a couple of weeks ago a lot of excuses why people, that people give of why my home can't be like that. And, and we all have them. You know, and, and I, I, can't, I don't have time to go into all those excuses. Look, go on the website and log on to our website, DawsonStreetBaptist.org. Click Listen Now or go to the archives and you can look at the dates and go back and listen to those. We need to rehearse those things because some of you have excuses. You think, nah, my home can never be like that. You don't know who I live with. Well, you're calling God a liar. Is God a liar? Okay, and why do we do this? To glorify God. We want to honor God. You know, today's Father's Day, and this is something that came up in Sunday school this morning. And uh, Tom was asking us, you know, why did David not kill Saul when he was given the opportunity? King Saul was hunting David's life. And uh, David had a perfect opportunity there in the cave to kill Saul, but he didn't do it. Was it because Saul didn't deserve to die? Did Saul deserve to die because Saul had sinned against God? Saul was trying to kill David. David had been anointed king, and and Saul really deserved to die. David had every opportunity to kill him. But why didn't David kill him? Well, the ultimate reason we talked about in Sunday school was because David was not just... He was respecting that authority of, of Saul, yes, but he was respecting God's authority. He was honoring God. So husbands, why should you love your wife? Wife, why should you submit to your husband? Children, why should you obey your parents? Parents, why should you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Is that the end game or is it to respect and honor God because that's what God said? You know, you cannot be right with God and wrong with your spouse. It cannot be. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your kids. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your parents. It's impossible. We're going to look at that today. I gave you some footprints. I gave you one footprint last week to walk in. Because he says, walk in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to walk in the Spirit. And one of the first footprints you can walk in, we looked at chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 19, speaking to one another. Now, I'll just stop there, speaking to one another. We talked about that, speaking to one another. And that's a big problem today because people don't talk to each other in the homes. They look at their cell phones. They look at the TV. They look at the computer screen. They got the earphones in their ears. Uh, all these things that they don't talk. And even if they do talk, it's down to people. It's discipline. It's criticism. You remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Remember the four horsemen we talked about last week? And this was by the Gottman Research Team, identified four patterns of negative communication. There's criticism. You're so lazy. You always, you never. There's contempt that conveys disgust and disrespect through sarcasm and mockery and insults and eye rolls and scowls and hostile humor. There's defensiveness where we blame the other family member for not taking responsibility. I... um, 
Example would be I would help with the laundry more if you weren't always telling me I'm doing it wrong. Or I would do this for you more if you would show me some appreciation. That's blaming somebody else for your behavior. And then the other, the fourth horse, horseman was stonewalling. That is where you just stonewall the person. You feel so overwhelmed with the conflict in your home, you just shut down and shut them out. You shut down and shut them out. And if you think about it, these could also be a progression. It starts with criticism, leads to contempt, leads to defensiveness, and then you just shut down and shut each other out. And that's happening in marriages, and it's happening in relationships with kids and their parents and even as siblings. So speaking to one another, how should we speak to one another? He says in verse 29 of chapter 4, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We need to speak edifying, uplifting, grace-filled words. Those are, that's a footprint we can follow. Speaking to one another in uplifting words. Well, what a perfect day today is Father's Day, but it doesn't have to be Father's Day to speak uplifting words. He said in verse 32, Kind, be kind to one another. Kind. Tender-hearted. Are you kind? You know, we're, here's, here's what should concern us. We're kinder to the people outside our home than we are the people inside our home. Now you think about that. We treat other people, you know why we do that? Because we're hypocrites. We don't want other people to really know how we really behave, how we really feel. And we treat people in our home who know us the best, the worst. And so we put on this fake front and we act really sweet and nice to everybody else, but we belittle and berate the members of our family. That's hypocrisy. And it's displeasing to God. And it's a poor example. You say, well, they don't know what goes on in my home, so they think I'm a perfect husband or a perfect father. we got a perfect marriage. we got a perfect family. It doesn't matter. You're not honoring God. You don't honor God by fakeness. You honor God by genuineness. It really being there, that brings honor to the Lord. So footprint number one, speak to one another. Footprint number two, look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Another way you can walk in the Spirit and enjoy the power and the presence of the Spirit in your home, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Paul's in prison writing this. I beseech you, I urge you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring, striving with all your might to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Are you doing everything you can before God? Well, Tom challenged us this morning. He said, if you think that you have done everything you can do in your family, you got it down. He said, you just, he said, he said I heard you. Go and sit before the Lord and ask God, Lord, am I doing everything I need to do as a husband, as a wife, as a child, parent? Is there anything, Lord, that I'm not doing that I ought to be doing or doing that I shouldn't be doing? Lord, would you show me? Would you convict me? And just sit before the Lord. And he, here's what Tom said. He said, I guarantee 100% of you, you'll feel conviction. And that's true. Because you aren't doing everything endeavoring, striving with all your might to keep the spirit of unity, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
Look at the words he chooses. Lowliness. That's the opposite of what? What's the opposite of lowliness? Pride. Highness. High-mindedness. Lowliness. Gentleness. Gentle. Are you gentle? Are you harsh? Chapter 6, verse 1 of Galatians, Paul said this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, now let's put that to practice in your home. If I sin against my wife or my children, or my wife sins against me or my children, or my children sin against us as their parents, if a person is overtaken, overtaken, overcome, that is, maybe this is something that's a habitual thing, it's a, it's a habit in their life, it's not just something that they've committed, they have been overtaken with this, this is their attitude, this is their way of life, it seems like, they, they just can't seem to break it. And some of you are living like that with people And he says, you who are what? Here's the test if you're spirit-filled. You will seek to do what? Restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Why? Because you realize that you could be guilty of the same thing. Or you're guilty of something equally wrong. You, you seek restoration. You seek to help that person. You seek to love that person and restore the relationship because you realize that they're just as imperfect as you are. You're just as imperfect as they are. That's lowliness. That's humility. That's gentleness. That's what a spirit-filled person does. If you don't do that, you're not filled with the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, that is the manifestation of the Spirit in your life, is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering. That word is there in Ephesians 4, 2. Long-suffering. Reverse that. What does long-suffering mean? It means you what? Say it. Suffer long. Some of us, we brag about being, I have a short fuse. Well, then you aren't filled with the Spirit. And... He says, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, goodness, meekness. There's that word lowliness, meekness. Faith. Some of you need faith in your homes. I mean faith that you're going to grow together. Faith that you're going to trust God to make your marriage and your family better. Trust God that you're going to grow in your relationship with Him. Faith. And then he said self-control. And that's what a lot of homes are lacking today is self-control. Well, I just can't help it. It just comes flying out of my mouth. You aren't filled with the Spirit then. You're filled with another kind of Spirit, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're filled with the unholy Spirit. You're under His influence. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So what are you drunk with when words just come flying out of your mouth? It's not the Holy Spirit. He says, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Are y'all convicted yet? I am. Here's the key word, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Paul used the term in the old King James English, forbearing with one another. 
You know what that means? It means that I don't expect every member of my family to be perfect. God knows I can't be. And if you have this burden upon yourself that you feel like your family expects you to be perfect, that's an awful place to be, and it's an awful place to hold somebody to. Because you realize you don't want to be held to that standard, and therefore you can't expect others to be held to that standard. You are not going to be a perfect husband, father. You're not going to be a perfect wife, mother. You're not going to be a perfect parent. You're not going to be a perfect kid. Let's give each other some space to mess up. Let's give each other some space to fail. Because we are going to fail each other. But we hold each other to perfection because as soon as somebody messes up, what do we say? Mm-hmm, told you. I knew it was coming. So let me say footprint number two again. Bear with one another in these ways. Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, endeavoring, striving with all your might to keep the unity of the Spirit. You know, when the home is filled with the Spirit, there's unity. Husband and wife unity. Parent and child unity. And you say, what about sibling rivalry? Well, there's going to be sibling rivalry. There's even going to be husbands and wives that don't agree. There's even going to be parent-child rivalry. But there can still be unity because unity is not the same as unanimity. That is, everybody agrees on everything. Unity is even though we're different and we have different opinions, we are a, we're one in the bond of love. Footprint number three, Ephesians chapter four. We're in chapter four and chapter five looking at these things about the family. Verse 26, he says, Therefore, put away... I'm sorry, verse 26. Be angry... And do not sin. Anybody ever get angry at home? I heard one person say they did. Anybody ever get angry? Okay, is it a sin to be angry? You're going to get angry. Because you're a human being. Does God get angry? Are we made in the image of God? Yes. How does God express His anger? Righteously or unrighteously? Righteously. And there's no such thing. Some people say, I got righteous indignation, but they're acting like the devil while they have it and while they say it. That ain't righteous indignation. That's unrighteous human wrath coming out. Be angry, okay? What do you do? Let me give you a little hint. As soon as you feel angry, you know what you ought to do? They say, preacher, you do this? Not 100% of the time. But here's a clue. Anger for you ought to be the, the warning flag. The, the, what is that thing they shoot up in boats? The flare. Anger ought to be the flare signal to you. Okay. <whistles> something ain't right. They just said something that really ticked me off. They just did something that just... <clears throat> here's your first response. You, you're going to think this is silly, but it's true. See, anger is like striking a match. Now, what does Smokey the Bear tell you to do? Okay, don't play with matches. Don't flick your cigarettes. Don't be smoking. Don't flick your cigarettes out the window. You know, you know, forest fires, all that. When you strike a match, that's anger. Somebody abrasively <laughs> rubbed across your heart, your mind, and struck up your anger. 
Now you can sit there and seethe like holding a match and it'll burn down and burn you or you can stick it to somebody else and burn them. Is that what you want to do? Anybody want to think those are the two options you should try? What do you think ought to be done to that match immediately? How do you do that? Most of you don't know because you've never done it. You either seethe and you're burning inside or you stick it to somebody else and burn them. Can I get a witness? Yeah. My hand's up too. I'm typically a seether. I'll hide it and burn inside. And then when just the right temperature, I reach just the right temperature, boom! And you never know when that's going to be. Y'all didn't know your preachers like that, did you? Y'all thought he was perfect. I ain't. Some of you knew better. So what should you do to extinguish? As soon as you get angry, how can I not sin now? I've got to extinguish it. What do I do? I take that match to the Holy Spirit. I take my anger to the Holy Spirit. And if I want to have holy anger, you better bring it to the Holy Spirit because if you don't take it to the Holy Spirit, you're going to the unholy spirit and you're going to burn yourself or you're going to burn somebody else. You bring it to the Holy Spirit. You get flat on your face before God in lowliness and gentleness and you, be, you say, God, I'm so mad right now. I could bite a nail into. Man, holler at God. He can take it. Scream at Him. Let it out on Him. You say, I just got a vent. Vent to God. He's a good listener. And He understands. And then you say, God, forgive me because I, sh- I, 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 I feel so terrible about this person. Help change me towards them. Don't let me do something. Help me not to. Lord, I surrender to you. I submit to you. I don't want to burn them with my anger. I don't want to burn up with my anger. I'm giving it to you. Be angry, okay, but sin not. It's tough. But a person who's filled with the Spirit can do it. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 31 and 32, let all bitterness, wrath. How much bitterness should I hang on to? How much wrath can I hang on to? How about the righteous wrath? Can I hang on to that? What did he say? Let all bitterness and what? Wrath and what? Anger and clamor. And evil speaking be what? Put away from you, along with all malice. That is, ill feelings towards that person or hatred. Where am I to put it? Doesn't mean stuff it. Put it away from you. Well, how do I do that? Give it to God. You tell God about it. You're not fussing at God, but you're venting to God. You're giving it to Him. You're taking a time out, an emotional time out. Take a walk. Get out of the situation. Don't open your mouth. Don't even, you may even want to close your eyes because some of y'all can talk dirty with your eyes. Man, that reminds me of raising my daughter. I could, my boys could handle just about anything. I could even talk mean to them and it wouldn't seem to faze them. But Haley, I'd just look cross-eyed at her and she'd melt. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's why, you know, she's just so sweet, compliant, little... Daughter, hope you're 
daughter's going to be that way, for Reed's sake. <laughs> but, uh, so watch your eyes. So what you, when you close your mouth, close your eyes, and get out of the situation. Extinguish that anger. And you see, bitterness is a barrier. Wrath is a barrier in your relationship. You cannot have wrath and anger in your heart and the Holy Spirit at the same time. You're quenching him or grieving him as long as you have wrath and anger and bitterness. It's a barrier. Colossians 3.19. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter toward them. And then 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us about bitterness being, uh, if we're bitter against our wives, our prayers are hindered. Now that's not just a principle for husbands. That's a principle for wives as well. And parents and children. Uh, bitterness and hatred or anger or wrath or whatever it is is a barrier But in that relationship. He said, put it away from you. How do I do that? Well, I forgive. Because people are going to wrong you. You're going to get wronged weekly, maybe daily, God forbid, but weekly, monthly, often you're going to be wronged. How often should you forgive? Somebody, I'm going to ask you some questions. How do I forgive that person? How do I forgive? How does God expect me to forgive that person? Does God really know what he's done to me, what she's doing to me? Has God really paying attention? How, do I, how am I supposed to forgive them? Well, ch check out chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one, one another. How are we supposed to forgive one another? As God in Christ forgave who? Me. And you. How did God forgive me? Well, somebody had to die. Somebody's blood had to be shed. An innocent person had to die. Hmm. So you mean the one that didn't do the wrong has to die? That's what God did. What do you got to die to? Your pride. Your right to be right. You got to die. You got to forgive as God forgave you. How did God forgive you? Often. How many of you asked God's forgiveness for something this week? Now, I've got a few perfect people, not many, but a few. My hand's up too, not just as an example, but it's up too. How many probably ask God forgive you for something at least twice this week? Keep your hands up three times. Four, five. How many of you probably every day this week? God, y'all so bad people. <laughs> so am I. How many of you ask your spouse to forgive you even once this week? You reckon you sinned against them this week? How about your children? How about your parents? How about a, a co-worker? How about another human being? When's the last time you asked forgiveness from another human being? I don't do that. It's not the way I was raised. We're always right. Daddy was always right. Yeah, Daddy thought he was always right. Then he died and he learned otherwise. As often... As you've asked God to forgive you? You mean that's how many times I'm supposed to forgive my husband, my wife, my child, my parent? Yep, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. 
And you'd say, well, well, how often? For homework, read Matthew chapter 18. Peter asked that question. Peter said, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? How often can he sin against me and i got to forgive him? Seven times? Isn't that enough? A week's worth of forgiveness. Now, okay, everyone, not everybody, some of you said I asked forgiveness from the Lord seven times this week. How many of you said that again? I just had to see that. Okay, uh, because I feel the same way. So you're done. You can't ask anymore. You better not mess up anymore. You're done. According to Peter, the gospel according to Peter, you're done seven times. Jesus said no. Seventy times seven. Now seven was a perfect number. It, it was the number of completion. And so when Jesus said 70 times seven, he wasn't saying 490 times, but on that 491st time, their history. He was saying perfection times perfection, infinity and beyond. And actually another gospel, he said, as often as your brother sins against you, forgive him. As often. As often as forgiveness is required, forgive. Because isn't that how God forgives me? As often as I go to him and I ask him forgiveness, don't I expect and trust that he forgives me? Yes, that's how I am to forgive others. I am to forgive them as Christ forgave me. I am to forgive them as often as Christ forgave me. And when am I to forgive them? When I feel like it, right? When I am good and ready, right? When my mind changes, right? When they finally straighten up and do right, right? But that's how we all live. And don't lie. I'm to forgive immediately. That's how I extinguish that flame of anger. I extinguish it with forgiveness. I bring it to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says, I understand you're angry. That makes me angry too. Because what they did was indeed wrong. But here's what I want you to do, my child. I want you to forgive them and extinguish that anger in your heart. Oh, but God, that's too hard. I can't do it. Do you think God's going to ask you to do something He can't enable you to do? Of course not. That's why He says in Hebrews chapter 12, He says, Do not resist the grace of God. And He says, Because when we do, he sa God gives us the grace to forgive. He says in Hebrews chapter 8, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, Being careful lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble many, and by this many become defiled. What God says in that verse is, I'm giving you the grace to forgive. So we bring our anger to the Holy Spirit. God says, by His Spirit, I'm giving you the grace to forgive Him. And when you say, I can't, what you're doing is resisting the grace of God. And so when you resist the grace of God to forgive that person, then you become bitter. And then you start troubling your household. Then you start defiling your household. And then you open the door to the devil, because that's what he says in the next verse in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil, Ephesians 4, 27. And you've just invited the devil in. So you've resisted the grace of God, and you've opened the door to the presence of Satan. And see, that's what you don't want to do. It's the opposite of a spirit-filled family. When should you forgive? Immediately. Let me say this. You should forgive that person as soon as you want God's forgiveness. Let me say that again. You should forgive that person as soon as you want God's forgiveness. 
Because the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 6, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when should you forgive them? I would say as soon as you want God's. If you don't want God's, if you're not concerned about God forgiving you of your sin, then just keep all that bitterness inside. You'll die a bitter old person. Nobody wants to be around. You'll stand before God and have to give account for all those opportunities you resisted His grace and quenched His spirit. So footprint number three, footprint number one was speak to one another. Footprint number two is bear with one another. Footprint number three is forgive one another. And being today is Father's Day, footprint number four is honor one another. We honor our fathers, but we're to honor one another. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now I want you to notice, chapter 4 and chapter 5, all that I've read today prefaces this part about Husbands loving wives, wives submitting to husbands, children obeying parents, parents raising their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All this we've covered today prefaces all of that stuff later in chapter 5 and 6. So you see, don't, you got to get some things, foundation things right before you start thinking about loving and submitting and, and obeying and honoring. You got to get some of these other, and, and this over here is, is really about your vertical relationship with God. It's about being filled with the Spirit. When I am filled with the Spirit, this is what my home will look like. This is what my relationships will look like. You say that ain't true. It is true, because if you say it ain't true and it won't happen, you're calling God a liar. Once again, let God be true and every man a liar. God's Word works. We just don't work it. Honor one another. Submitting to one another. Submitting is a form of honoring and preferring. It's putting someone else's needs, wants, desires before yours. Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, Paul touched on this too. He said, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, give preference to one another. In honor, give preference to one another. I honor somebody when I prefer their desires over my own, their wishes over my own. So these are four footprints that a spirit-filled believer should be walking in. The reason I gave you these footprints is because, first of all, they, they show us where to walk, but they also give us an opportunity to look back and see, have I been walking in the Spirit? Because these footprints, who stepped there first? This is the way Jesus walked. He walked in the Spirit. He spoke to one another in those ways we talked about. He forgave even those who nailed him to the cross. He bear, bore the sins of many people, not just on the cross, but throughout his life. He bore their sin for bearing with one another. And he preferred others. He's the one that wrapped himself in the towel and washed their feet. See, these are the footprints of Jesus 
Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit, and He lays out before us how we are to walk. Those footprints just follow Jesus. Listen, if your home, if your life doesn't look like that, you're not filled with the Spirit, and you're not following Jesus. You may be saved. You may go to heaven when you die, but that ain't, that's, not what, that's not the big picture. You're not, you say, yeah, it is. That's the end game. Well, if that's the end game for you, you're going to be miserable in heaven. Because the, the, the part down here is the, the part up there that he wants us to enjoy down here is that connection with him, that relationship with him, that walking with him. Jesus said, let your will be done on earth, he prayed, as it is in heaven. Now, your home, your family, your life, your walk with God ought to be a little heaven on earth. And if it's more like hell, something's wrong. And it ain't God. And chances are, it ain't just who you're living with. If I were you, I would get on my face before God and say, God, my home is a wreck. If this is true of you, I need help. What I've been doing ain't working. Now help me. Show me. Help me to obey you. Fill me with your spirit. I repent. Repent of your sin. Confess before God all the things He brings to your mind that you've been contributing to the mess in your home. Just admit it to God. He already knows that He's waiting for you to realize it. And then plead the blood of Jesus. God, cleanse me from all of that. And God, help me. I want to reconnect with you. And all my relationship with you has been hindered because of the way I feel about my family. Listen, even if your family is what you think is great, it still needs improvement. There's no, there's always room for home improvement. Always. So what can you do? Even if your home is wonderful, husbands, what can you do? Wives, what can you do? Who can you, can you be filled with the Spirit? Yes. And it's a daily choice. It's a daily walk. So, I want to encourage you during our time of invitation just to spend some time talking to the Lord. It may, be, it may have to start with right there with confession. But move from confession to repentance. From, to repent, repentance means turning from what you were doing and starting to walk in the ways of God.